Hello, and welcome to Detangling Development, a seven-part podcast series brought to you by UNIPID, the Finnish University Partnership for International Development. In this podcast, we dive deeper into important themes related to global development by interviewing a guest with expert insight or research background in the specific topic. I'm your host, Melissa Plath, and I'm a senior specialist at UNIPID. In this episode, we dive deeper into a very interesting dynamic, namely the relationship between policymaking and research in the field of global development. We might be tempted to assume either that this connection is simple and straightforward, or that there is little to no overlap between these two practices. In reality, the connections between research and policy are complex. While long-term research has the potential to provide important insights for decision-making, sometimes it cannot meet the demands for absolute solutions under time pressures. Despite the challenges, efficient communication and collaboration between the research community and policymaking practitioners is crucial for achieving the goals of sustainable development. How are these two practices connected, and what challenges do policymakers and researchers have to overcome in order to work together? These are a couple of the questions we will address in today's episode, and I'm happy to have Dr. Mariki Karhu with me today to shed some light on this very interesting topic. Mariki is currently working as the Secretary General of the Finnish Development Policy Committee, an independent body appointed by the government to follow up and to report on development policy in the context of Agenda 2030. She has a PhD in Development Studies from the Department of Political and Economic Studies at the University of Helsinki. Before her appointment to the Finnish Development Policy Committee, she worked as a researcher in the European Union Research Program at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. She has also chaired the Finnish Society for Development Research. In other words, she's the perfect person for discussing the relationship between research and policy. Welcome, Mareki, and thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? <laughs> thank you, Melissa. I'm fine, thank you. I'm so excited about the topic. Thank you so much for inviting me here. So in your experience, how has the transition from research to policymaking been? Well, maybe it is not so much about transition from research to policymaking, apart from the day-to-day work, but about wearing two different hats. Because uh, before completing my PhD, and a short postdoc period afterwards. I worked in advocacy, in public sector, and at the university, which makes it kind of easy for me to shift roles and perspectives. And actually, since the beginning of this year, I have also been involved in a small-scale Nordic research project on the evolution of the Finnish aid. So all the skills and hats are in good use, I would say. So do you think that it's important to keep up those skills uh, in order to be able to switch hats kind of smoothly between these different um, these different roles? Definitely. I think that you need both skills because the issues are so complex. Mm. So in order to work and perform and deliver, you really need those skills, those that you have uh, acquired during your academic years and also the understanding of the world of a practitioner and policymakers. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking specifically about your research background, how does that impact your current position? Well, perhaps I would see myself first and foremost as a policy analyst with a background in political science. And uh, definitely the research background has been useful in, in many ways. Uh, first of all, it's about approach. You 
do things thoroughly mm. and you don't take things at face value. You always want to go deeper. So once you learn that mindset, you stick with <laughs> that. That's the way it kind of sticks with you. And second, of course, during your PhD studies, well, I was privileged to learn and study many of the issues that relate directly to our work today, starting from the processes of, of sustainable development, official development aid, actors, uh, everything basically that is that is there in, in, in my day-to-day work now. And maybe thirdly, the role of researcher is always a role of an outsider, and that is sometimes very healthy, mm. and it gives you the opportunity to take few steps back and try to look uh, the issues you are uh, dealing with from a bigger uh, perspective. And of course, it's about knowledge production and analysis and, you know, understanding how that fits in the system or is left out. That's interesting. And mm. I kind of want to flip it as well. So how does this kind of policy perspective and the advocacy perspective that you have uh, had previously also influence the the kind of research um, that you're doing? Well, there are many reasons why I'm doing that, but one of them is the lack of uh, research in aid studies in Finland. Mm. So knowledge about Finnish aid, and that I really found out when I was asked to do uh, this piece of research. And uh, when I went, of course, as every researcher always starts with the literature review, and I found out that there's so little analysis that you really need that. So I try to contribute because we don't, we kind of lack the perspective. First yeah. of all, we don't have history of development cooperation and development policy in Finland. We don't really have a proper sectoral analysis. So if you want to look at our gender work, mm. you don't you know, find that um, very easily. Or it's not it's not documented apart from evaluations right. uh, or OECD duck peer reviews. But that's not the same thing. Right. Oh, super interesting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm excited to see what comes from this research. So, Mariki, if you had to kind of describe what you do to a stranger or to a small child, how would you describe your work? Well, to describe the focus of my work to someone who is not directly involved in our activities, I would maybe say that ideally our task as the Finnish Development Policy Committee is to, first of all, influence Finnish Development Policy so that it could become as good as possible in terms of uh, impact on poverty and inequality, its alignment with international norms and uh, commitments, its resources, the use of resources, and that uh, policymakers would have a kind of a realistic picture of what development policy really entails. And my job as the Secretary General is to further these goals in close collaboration with our chairpersons, our network members, and by the way, Unibit is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And we're very happy to be there. Good. I think this is a great transition into the kind of first uh, question that I have for you about this challenge of linking research and policy. So what is actually the link between research and policy in the field of development? Well, the link between research and policy in the field of development is a vital one for, uh, for sure. It's a very complex one and not sufficiently strong or evenly strong across the board. I would argue here, actually, I would say that we don't have yet research-based development policy. Of course, the field of development policy in itself, it's very wide. So it depends very much on the sector that you are looking at. 
there are sectors uh, where the role of science and academic research is gaining importance and researchers are very well listening to, for instance, to work on climate change or sustainable development mm. in Finland. Mm. I think that serves as a case in point. Whereas again, the field of development cooperation proper, the link is much, much weaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's quite concerning. And I think that's because uh, there's so little in, uh, little independent research in, in aid done in Finland that would really form a kind of critical community or influential community that, that could then be consulted and, uh, and uh, who could be there when decisions are made. So how do you think we can reconcile the theory and practice of of development policy? I think that, uh, first of all, the theory and practice are not enemies and they should not be separated. I think theories can be extremely useful for practitioners and providing them explanations and frameworks that can really help them to understand the issues that they are, they are tackling with. Say, for instance... Uh, Desk officers working in fragile context, fragile mm-hmm. states, they can benefit from peace and conflict studies. They need to understand uh, conflict sensitivity. And really, their theories are really they are just useful. And uh, I think, of course, what is needed is that there there is that research and applicable results at, at hand. And that there is kind of a some kind of a channel that those results and information, those persons and those contacts can be can can be made so that the policymakers can have this access to to information when when it is needed. And I think also what is important is that there needs to be incentive to do that, mm. both sides. And that's kind of a I think we are lacking that. And um, in my opinion, if I look at the practitioner side, I see how much work they do. The day-to-day work is very heavy. They are, of course, like everyone, but I, I think, for instance, the staff at the ministry, they are really overburdened with work. Mm-hmm. So to look for information can be something that it's not automatically there or they're looking a very narrowly results uh, information, knowledge that they got from the projects or programs or investments, but not from independent researchers. Mm. And also the same applies to to uh, researchers. I mean, you need to produce peer review articles and you don't really get bonus. Well, maybe you get bonus if, if you do extra, but how to really popularize those findings and how to, you know, uh, serve them to the wider audience. That's an extra effort, but you need to, you know, have incentives to do that on both sides. So how to make this match? I think this is really the key. It's so interesting and you have such a unique kind of perspective to be able to see both sides because I think it's really easy to get stuck in looking at the the world and maybe the relationship from your own perspective mm-hmm. and forgetting how to kind of see the pressures that the other might be under mm-hmm. uh, and so you have this like unique window <laughs> into both of these uh, sides do you find that you're like trying to explain the perspective of the researchers to policymakers and vice versa or do you think that somehow people kind of get it and they understand the the challenges that the others are facing I think I definitely should do more. Sometimes it's a bit difficult if, you know, uh, when I'm working as the Secretary General, I should not be representing any of the, you know, uh, member, member uh, stakeholder group. Mm-hmm. So I would really invite UNIPIT members to, to take full advantage of that seat and because it's much stronger the message 
that right. you know it comes directly from researcher because for for our members in that position i'm you know i'm the secretary general for for them in in the context of the on policy committee and yeah yeah she has a researcher background but sometimes people don't even remember that so it's it's much more i think the message is stronger when it comes directly from someone who's coming a little bit from outside but right. i try to of course be there to build the bridge and and facilitate where, and do whatever i can but sometimes you can really see those gaps and uh, I think the only way around it is really openly discuss about this, this yeah. need and yeah. the need for incentives to do that. Yeah, definitely. I want to get to the point of the incentives in a minute, but I think it's also interesting to hear what are the current kind of spaces or opportunities through which research findings can be translated into policy. Well, I think that's a very in- important question, as there are certainly those opportunities, but they are not maybe so clearly communicated or even established, uh, but may rely very much uh, on personal contacts as mm-hmm. well. Of course, those traditional channels, what you could think of, um, of course, commission studies or formal hearings, stakeholder hearings, mm-hmm. uh, submitting your statements as UNIPID or a research group or uh, something like that to the, to the uh, MFA or to the parliament or parliamentary committees. But apart from that, I think that it also might be too late sometimes because what is interesting is that when a policy starts to take shape, that's really the key moment to influence it. But how do you know that? So you need to know what's going on. So maybe I just tried to list a few things that might be helpful. And uh, I think, of course, those desk officers that are in charge of the academia, uh, MFA relations, they could be used as entry points. Also, kind of political party, they, parties, they have those officers that work on international relations, for instance, yeah. contact them directly. The cabinet of the minister or, or of the foreign affairs uh, committee, you know, people that are really drafting the agendas for those bodies, they are key, in, certainly in a key position, and also policy advisors. So if you're working um, in forestry or gender equality, know who's your counterpart in a way in the in the ministry and just establish a contact there. And uh, I think that those could be very, very practical tips, you know, what could be done. And then also I know that the Finnish Society for Development Research, they're organizing the Studia Generalia lecture series uh, three times a year. So that's also an opportunity. And, and then, of course, uh, UNIPID uh, or a research group. It's good if you have a larger platform. Yeah. It always amplifies the message if you are many, instead of just having one piece of research. But that one piece of research and the ideas or results can be really powerful if the moment is right and the person is right and you, you really can nail it. <laughs> so it's it's really a kind of combination of having the information, finding the right time, having something that you can provide some kind mm. of answers or some kind of input which is is useful at that right place and time right and also if when you're starting your own research it's uh, good to inform you know what's going on for instance it's kind of an easy way would be that you do interviews and once your your research is completed you recontact these people and you know ask for an opportunity to come and present your findings and uh, I think people are quite open to these kind of suggestions. So, but maybe this, of course, once, like I said, it, these are no formal channels and that makes it a little bit difficult. And uh, 
talking from my own personal experience while doing my PhD, I would have never dared to do anything like that. But in my case, I did a lot of interviews and then actually it was the uh, Department of uh, External Trade that contacted me when they knew that the dissertation was completed. And so I gave, went there and gave a presentation. That's but so the threshold is, I understand it. If you really do, if, if you think that you come from outside, do you know, really to take those steps and you approach people and look, this is my research, these are my findings, you should know yeah. <laughs> what I found out. Yeah. It doesn't maybe happen automatically, I understand that. Yeah, you have to kind of make an effort to do it. Definitely. definitely. Mm. Yeah. It's also interesting thinking about your tips that I think somehow approaching the ministries that feels like very easy and familiar, but then to, to approach actual political parties or politicians that sounds a bit scarier somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but should not be there. I mean, this is a democracy. And I think officers really working for the party on international relations. They could be kind of, you know, more user friendly <laughs> in that, that way. That. And, and of course, parliamentary pol uh, committees, they have this kind of higher status. And, but uh, why not? You can always uh, give a try. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> Good. <laughs> You've spoken a lot about incentives, and I'm curious what you think these incentives could be or should be. So what types of incentives should be in, put in place, or are they already in place for researchers and for policymakers to support this collaboration? Well, I think that there are not sufficient incentives, or they are not, in a way, embedded in their roles. If you think about practitioners and uh, Really, I'm just approaching this question from a very, very uh, practical angle and point of view, knowing the you know, working load that they are facing. And uh, if it's not part of your core task, it doesn't get done. So it should be somehow uh, integrated in the daily work or also if it's uh, something that requires, for instance, uh, different type of like mechanisms that would facilitate. And I know that OECD DAC, for instance, have given recommendations to Finland that we should have kind of a knowledge base on different types of platforms. And I think those platforms could be, I mean, in a very physical format or on the net, um, they could be like spaces where no, researchers and practitioners could meet. Mm. And, but we, I don't think that happens automatically. So there has to be kind of a, this integration and then uh, incentives to, to really look for the information and establish these contacts. But also, uh, as said before, for a researcher, know that they are, we are struggling with deadlines and you are worried about your next career move and, uh, and you know, Peer review articles are those that, are, that that count, and that's fine. But you should have the time and somehow, you know, encouragement from the faculty, from your own discipline, uh, to do that 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 advocacy work or or you know, reach out towards a wider audience. I know people do that, and now with social media, it's so much easier. But do that you know, systematically is a different thing, and of course. Um, if I give an example that, for instance, if the government starts to uh, write or draft a new, let's say, development policy program, which is kind of the umbrella <laughs> program for all the activities and the guidelines, 
uh, it's a huge exercise. So mm-hmm. if you have just one piece of uh, research and how do you really fit into that right. and how you make sure that your contribution is relevant. But so I think that it, that it's very useful if you have platforms and, and networks like Unipit that can be really like the middleman there and mm. kind of understand uh, what they are needing, what they're looking for, and then contact your own researchers and uh, and ask them to produce comments and statements. And and also I would encourage the MFA side to be open to that. I know that 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 is kind of increasing this kind of openness and. Uh, Yeah, need for stakeholder views, but uh, make sure that you are there. Not only the NGOs, not only the uh, the private sector actors or politicians who can then say, "Ah, rubbish, <laughs> we are not opting for this." Well, that doesn't doesn't happen. But I mean, just to give an example, that you are really you know making your case there. Yeah, that's very interesting, and it it kind of brings us, I think, to to the next uh, set of questions that I want to ask. So. Before we go into kind of comparing these different policy inputs, uh, I would like to know a bit more about the challenges that you face. So we've talked a bit about the incentives and the lack thereof, mm-hmm. but what are some of the other challenges you have faced when combining research and development policy making, and how have you overcome these? Hmm. I wish I was overcome them. <laughs> uh, well, you know, to put it very frankly, I think the challenges are still there. Like you already mentioned, we have touched upon many of them. Uh, uh, but maybe I would still highlight the the very narrow understanding of you know what it means to do knowledge based policies or formulate them, because uh, this is um, what I what I hear all the time. For instance, at the, at the ministry that they have, for instance, these results reports that they then submit to the parliament, and they are very important. But it seems that that kind of process has taken the leading role so that is that is the knowledge mm. and of course it's uh it's a data aggregated data from uh, projects and and programs and international advocacy work which is very important but i think we need that independent look and really uh, to understand because we can count okay uh what has happened or we can have a, uh, also qualitative stories and and, and uh, recollections of you know what has worked what has not worked but really if we are aiming for uh, transition or social change you really need to have a long term look at the context where the for instance a project or program has taken place or a policy so i think that uh, re- re- really cannot buy you know have a shortcut from there you need to have that long-term research and angle to those processes to really to have the full picture. That's very interesting. And I think we're going to come back to this idea of of long-term research in a moment. But um, I I still am curious about your thoughts in how the policy inputs from researchers compare to those by, for example, the NGOs, private sector, other actors, What what are some mm. of the uh, the positives and what are some of the the challenges and what what could be improved? Okay, uh, well, in my opinion, I think that um, in general the researchers are much less organized as a lobby or advocacy group for for the obvious for the obvious reason that they're maybe and hopefully they are not <laughs> uh, similar interests so in interests of of. Uh, funding or directly related to funding or or conflicting interests, uh, as for instance, you might find with the private sector. So uh, this results in a much kind of weaker input puts in terms of 
quantity and really demand, not mm-hmm. in terms of uh, quality. Um, I think there are these two things that whether you are interested in getting a particular uh, well, uh, well uh, grounded point of view across and into a certain process, or you just want to lobby for your own cause. And I think, for instance, NGOs are very skillful to do both. Yeah, They can uh, lobby for themselves while they are lobbying for for a greater good, be it gender equality right. or, or peace or, or what have you. And of course, then the private sector in, in Finland also you have very strong and powerful confederations, for for instance, that of uh, Finnish industries mm-hmm. that are really powerful. They address the leaders directly with uh, with their demands, are really vocal in, in co- questions in which their uh, financial interests are at stake. Yeah. I put it very frankly, but that that is my experience. So to compete there, uh, it it really it really requires skills. But I think that the good news is, and that I think that researchers have one asset that is really seriously underutilized, and I think that is that relates to the the role of ideas and power. Mm. Because politicians, if they don't have ideas, or the functionaries, if they don't have ideas how to bring things forward, they are in trouble. So researchers, not only the results, but you know they can help to build up narratives and uh, and, and provide ideas. I mean, I'm not just ideas as in, you know, in, in a way of marketing something, but really that you know what has worked somewhere. We have yeah. proven this. This you might not need to try this or look at this angle, and this relates to this and that question. So I think that is something that these other groups don't have so that much. That's exciting. We have ideas. <laughs> We have you have ideas. <laughs> let's let's move to to the next set of questions. So, what do policymakers then need in order to bring research-based information into policymaking? What are do you think the conditions that need to be met and vice versa? What do researchers need to be able to influence policymaking? So, if we think about the basic conditions and start with them. I think that what is needed is, is information in a timely and applicable format, of course. And of course, on the other side, you, you need to have uh, researchers that have, you know, they're able to produce that, but also that they have incentives to do that. And then you need that access to decision makers to provide those ideas or, or results. So these are very basic elements. But if you, when you try to materialize them, you realize it's not always that that simple. Yeah. So do you think long-term research then is important for policymaking uh, in the field of development, and why why might that be? Definitely, I think that really that should be the very foundation. Uh, of every any policy and kind of without it we would be in a in a way dancing in the dark so just guessing and, and not really knowing but it's of course it's difficult uh, because the need for information actually is huge if you really think that it would take this knowledge-based uh, development policy seriously yeah. the amount of data you would need and I now I mentioned that I'm I'm, I'm working uh, on this Nordic project and uh, as compared to Sweden Norway Denmark we are really lacking behind I mean they have so much data and analysis yeah. and uh, that's really really something and and uh, as for us we really have to rely on OECD doc or evaluations or they're very they're brilliant dissertations or uh, individual 
individual articles, but in order to really build an overall picture or to understand how that has changed over time, you don't have that data. So I think that's one of the key challenges that we have. Definitely. And I think that if you have this kind of long-term research, which has consistent funding, it allows you to, from this basis of data and knowledge, to be able to come to some recommendations, conclusions that you can kind of do this over a longer term, rather than relying on small studies with small funding. And I think that's also one of the reasons why this long-term research is so important. Definitely. I, I agree with you 100%. And it's also a matter of kind of a legitimacy, if you think about sure. that. If you, know, if you know that there are a group of, or there's a community working on those issues, you have, can really have debate. So it's not black or white, it's not right or wrong, uh, because that is also one of the obstacles that I think that uh, mm. uh, if you think about the um, overall position of uh, Finnish development policy in, the, in Finnish politics, mm-hmm. in domestic politics, it's quite controversial in a way. It's yeah. the first one to be cut <laughs> or yep. it's the, the field that is kind of like unfortunate baby sister or brother to other branches of external relations. So if you have that kind of community and the knowledge base there and combine that with NGO work and, and evaluations by the MFA. So I think it, it's, it really gives this stamina that you cannot really you know, ignore this field anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I think there's also something here about the communications and, and the way to actually communicate uh, science and research results and uh, these kinds of outputs. So what kinds of activities or actors could be the most useful in delivering or being um, acting as an intermediary mm. uh, for, for delivering policy-relevant research knowledge? Well, I think let's take the example of sustainable development and its implementation in Finland. So they have had this scientific panel that uh, consists of uh, professors from different fields of the society, economy and in the environment. And I think that, you know, that's a very good example in a way that they get really listened to yeah. by the politicians and they have, they are very authoritative and they they are look up to when, uh, you know, they are formulating policies. So I my dream is that we would have similar setting for development policy. Mm-hmm. So uh, it could be uh, this kind of informal panel or formal panel. It could be ad hoc or or a platform of a more permanent basis, but kind of a, some sort of a reference group in a way. And uh, I think I hope that Finnish um, Development Policy Committee could facilitate something like that as well. Um, but it really, it has to be in a way it's owned by the research community. It cannot be anyone uh, from outside, but someone, you know, can facilitate. But I think the Unibit can really play a role in this. Well, I think you've uh, given us quite a lot of ideas for for what we could do next. Uh, but my question is for you. So what's next? Well, <laughs> Melissa, I'm really I'm just realizing now that, well, good news first, that there is potential to do, do more to do more collaboration on this issue. And, and I somehow I feel that this maybe could be my mission. I don't know when and how, but maybe part of my, my, my work as the Secretary General to really to advance this. But I think it's far too important uh, issue and topic to be forgotten. And so maybe my, it's, 
well, one of the promises that I can make here is that really let's co- cooperate on this in the future. And uh, really, this is an invitation to everyone to, to join us. Well, thank you for that invitation, and and certainly Unipid will be taking you up on that, and I I believe a lot of listeners as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. This was a very interesting and enlightening conversation. Thank you so much, Melissa. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Detangling Development. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to join us for the next one, where we will be talking about Finland's role in global sustainable development with Depo Eskelinen, philosopher and senior lecturer in social sciences at the University of Eastern Finland. My name is Melissa Plath. See you next time. This episode was produced and edited by Kelly Brito and Alexandra Birish. Our original theme music is by Vesa Plath. This has been Detangling Development. Mm-hmm.